First Timothy chapter two. We're only looking at verses one through seven. First Timothy chapter two, verses one through seven. In this passage, we're going to see how God truly has a heart for this world. He has a heart for all people. And this is really the heart that we are trying to possess for ourselves. We're trying to mold our own hearts to be like Christ, to be like our Heavenly Father. In in many ways, this is the heart that we've even seen from the most and what they were sharing, the heart for homeless communities and families with um, financial difficulties, refugees, and, and other sorts of people. And these different groups of people, God cares for all of them. In the same way, we too must develop that same heart. So let's take a look at this passage, and then I'll, we'll, we'll move into the sermon. So let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. This is God's word. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Which is, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher to Gentiles in faith and truth. What we see here in this passage, the heart of the gospel, and what I mean by the heart of the gospel is not, I don't mean the, sen- the central aspect of the gospel, because the gospel, really the, the central truth of the gospel is the glory of God found in Christ. But the heart of the gospel here that we see in this passage, what I'm talking about is the passion that the gospel has, the sentiment, the heartfelt emotion, the desire of why we are to speak the gospel, why we are called to bring the gospel to the end of the world. That's what I mean here by the heart of the gospel here. And this is this is important for us to recognize because we recognize a world right now, a world that is truly without God. If we take a look at this, and this just just talking about missions right now for a little bit as an introduction. Mission organizations have defined different people groups around the world, and different people groups are, you know, they're organized, defined by language, ethnicity, and, and such such that. And and so we see here. There's we have unreached and unengaged people groups. And what we mean by that, unreached people groups, UPGs, they are populations with less than 2% evangelicals. Less than 2%. If you take that number and you think about all the different people groups out there, and you add up all the people together, so rather estimate about 7,000 unreached people groups. That's around 4.6 billion people in this world. That's more than half Fourth, who don't people groups who are unreached with the gospel unengaged people groups 
they're they're unengaged and unreached. They're they're a subset group within the unreached people group. Unengaged people groups are populations without any kind of church planning strategy, meaning no one's thinking about how to reach them at all. And they estimate about three thousand unengaged people groups, and that's about two hundred seventy-one million people. But more than all this, right, we recognize that, yes, there's definitely a lot of people who do not know God. And there's many people who we're not even thinking about how to reach them. And like, that's sad news. And we can get so encapsulated into our little bubble here. Thinking that everyone we meet is a good person. Everyone we meet is a Christian, right? We, we just, we, when, we're, when we're surrounded by Christians all the time, we naturally think everyone's Christian. But that's just not the case. In the real world. And that should break our hearts. But furthermore, more than just these unreached, unengaged people groups, we think for instance, because they again they define unreached people groups by those people groups that are less than two percent evangelical. But even if they're more than two percent, they, they define reach groups measured by ten percent of the population as evangelical. That's that's kind of that's still small, ten percent. And yet, even within that 10%, how do you define evangelicalism? Some of them might include Catholics in there. Are they true believers? I mean, that can be debated. Not going to get into that here now, but that's the question. Some of them maybe heard a gospel that's not the true gospel, perhaps the prosperity gospel. How much of all that is even consisting of true believers and we start taking all these more into question. We start thinking about just really how small population the church truly is. And again, that should impact our hearts. And even if you think about our Western culture, yes, we're indeed built upon biblical truths. Right? America was founded indeed by a lot of Christians. There's religious affinity when America started. But yet, Evangelical Western world right now, today, in 2021, are becoming more and more post-Christian, meaning less and less people growing up in youth and in, in our culture today is, are hearing about the Bible, are hearing about Christ. Many of them don't know at all who Jesus was. And so, again, we can easily live in a bubble. And, and within our bubble, we become insulated, insulated by comfort, by wealth, by by enjoying fellowship with just people who are like us. And again, there's nothing wrong with fellowship. We're here as a community, and we love that. We want to encourage that. But we can become insulated by that. And we become focused upon simply hanging out with people who are like us, people who we find similarities with. You know, and here at this church, Again, not speaking for all you because, you know, there's definitely different ethnicities here, but perhaps we're looking at, we were comfortable with Asians. We were comfortable with those who have, who grew up in a middle-class family. We're comfortable with those who have education. We're comfortable with those who at least know the gospel, know the Bible. And yes, some people struggle with their faith and we have ups and downs, but all in all, we're pretty much alike. I mean, we, we, can, we can get so caught up with simply being with those who are like us, being in places where we're comfortable. And when we do that, 
we end up being distracted from the Great Commission. We end up being distracted by what we as a church is called to do to bring the gospel to the ends of the world, ends of the earth. And that's here what we, what, what Paul here is warning Timothy of. You see, within the letter of 1 Timothy, as we've been covering it in chapter 1, there is indeed false teaching penetrating to the church, penetrating church. And what's happening with this false teaching, what's happening with these false teachers coming to the church is that they, they're distracting the church from the Great Commission. Instead, they're bringing these believers and bringing them into useless conversations, into endless debates, into listening to all these myths and legends, instead of actually speaking about the truth and encouraging people to go out with the gospel. And so Paul here is warning Timothy. He's warning Timothy against false teaching, not just because false teaching creates controversy, but because when false teaching, when it's left unintended, it can distract the church from the heart of the gospel. And that can be the same for us. And so let's take a look here. Let's take a look here at how Paul desires, what Paul desires for the church. And we'll start first with talking about the passion that the gospel has. Looking at verses 3 to 6. We see here first that God has a passion for all people. God has a passion for all people. Timothy here is instructed to pray for all people, right? We see that in verse 1. And and Paul even writes in in the very first verse, first of all, meaning this is of utmost priority. He instructs Timothy to pray for all people. Why? Because this pleases God our Savior, verse 3. Right? This is good and it pleases and is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. And that, that title, our Savior, is a title frequently used to describe God in the pastoral epistles. First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. And this here is speaking about the heart of God. That he desires all people to come to have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Right? He desires for them to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, there's debates about here about what, who all people refers to. Right? It, can, it can refer to perhaps every single person. Some people may argue that. Some people may argue it refers to every group of people. And while I tend to believe it represents it's God's is talking about God's desire for all different groups of people to be saved. It really, when we come down to the nitty-gritty, that's defining all people is not what this passage is about. It's not. And yes, I I have a more Calvinistic theology, and so there's certainly God cannot have saved all people. We look around this world and we don't see every single soul saved. Yet, when we take a look at this passage and we think about it, the focus here is not about who all people is. The focus here is about the heart that God has for this world. Right? The focus here is that God is the one God of this world. He is the God of every person. And no matter what nation, no matter what people group you belong to, no matter what status you have, no matter how much money you have, no matter how much education you have, what job you hold, 
God is a God of every single person. It says here, right here, there is one God. One God. And that is important. And so this here is what we as the church must all have. We also, too, then, must have a heart for all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of this truth. And sometimes we get so caught up in the nitty-gritty of things. We get so caught up in theological conversations. We get so caught up in different debates about getting things right. And I'm not saying getting things right is wrong, because we should indeed interpret the Bible correctly. We are indeed a Bible church. We care about making sure we teach right doctrine. But get this. Good theology, right doctrine, should always lead to a greater passion. For people. It should always do that. When good theology stops at just knowledge, it doesn't become good theology. Good theology should always lead to a greater passion for people. That is, that is what it's all about. This is why we teach scripture. We teach scripture here at this church. We preach the word of God so that you have a greater heart for God and for this world. I mean, take a look at this. I mean, this past year is filled with theology. And all this demonstrates God's heart for this world. And we should share that same heart. It should open us up to see this world as lost. And we should have compassion upon them. I mean, take a look here, starting in verse 5. It says here, there is one God, meaning this is talking about the creator, the only God, the one who existed before all time, before creation. There is one God. He is the creator of all things. One God. And it says here that there is one mediator between God and men. And here, men is talking about humanity. Biblical anthropology. Humanity as created in the image of God. I Meaning we can't understand who we are as human beings without first coming to knowledge of knowing who God is. We are created in his image. This is important because that makes God the one God of all of humanity. And he says here that there's one mediator, meaning there must be an atonement done, atonement done between man and God, done through a representative between man and God. And this is important because we have fallen. We are fallen images of God. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We are sinners. Humanity is, carries a broken image of God, and there then, then requires an atonement. And that atonement can only be done through a mediator. And that mediator is done through the man Christ Jesus. And we see here the incarnation. Again, see how all these theology entwines with one another, connects with one another. The incarnation, the humanity of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself, divine deity, encapsulated in the human flesh. Doesn't make any sense, and yet that's pure, awesome theology. And here the emphasis here in verse, in verse 5 is that this is a man. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, a man, an emphasis on his humanity. As Jesus Christ came down here, not necessarily, not, not as just a Jew, not as just a Gentile, not as just a man, not as just a carpenter, not just a teacher. He came down here as a man representing humanity. 
that's important. Right? Because this, is, again, is about one God in the entire world. And Jesus Christ represents both sides perfectly. More than that, it says here that Jesus Christ gave himself up as a ransom for all. This is the doctrine of penal substitution. If you don't know what that means, it just simply means Jesus took our place on the cross. He took our place because we deserve the wrath of God. We deserve judgment. We deserve to be judged for our sins. We are broken, evil people who do not, who are not friends with God. And yet, Jesus Christ died for us in our place. He took our place. He became a perfect substitute. This makes the cross so much more real. It's not just a good story. It's not just Jesus Christ being a good man. We just recognize his sacrifice. No, he took our sins onto that cross. And our sins were bloody and violent. And it was worthy of condemnation. Jesus took it all. As Jesus himself says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and he gave his life as a ransom for many. And all this, all this was planned out by God, not an accident. Jesus didn't just look to his father and say, hey, I'm just going to go down and do this. Will you accept my sacrifice? No, God had this all planned out. And we see this at the end of verse 6 where it says, this is a testimony given at the proper time. This tells us, talks to us, teaches us about the wisdom of God, his sovereignty, his sovereign plans carried out according to his will. All of this was not a random event, but it was the plan of salvation laid out by God from eternity past. You see how all this is good theology? But all of this is meant to open up our hearts and show us that when you are saved, you're not just being saved so that you can have a personal savior you are saved because God cares for you and the rest of this world. This, this is a global salvation, global gospel meant for all people. It's not just meant for America. It's not just meant for people like you and me. It's not just meant for those who are in the middle class, those who can understand the gospel, those who can understand the Bible, those who can read. This is meant for everyone. God cares about every single soul. This is the heart of the gospel. A gospel that presents God, not as a distant God, but a God who personally carries out a plan of salvation that is centered upon his son, the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, the man. And this here tells us just how much God truly loves this world. He loves us all. As John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him 
And whoever here speaks about any person, whoever believes in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. Consider for yourself now, where are you? Where are you at with your faith? Where are you at with your relationship with God? Do you understand just how awesome this gospel truly is? That you are not an accident. That God did not just save you because you suddenly have this understanding of the gospel. That you were raised in a Christian family or you come to meet a friend who shared with you the gospel. All of this happened by God's miraculous plan for your life. You are not an accident. God chose to save you. Why? So that you can be a testimony of Christ. Given at a proper time for someone else. God saves you so that you can be a light in this world. So that you can go out and you can proclaim that same truth that changed your life to help others have the same hope. Have the same joy. And you guys can share together in that worship of God. And folks, this changes everything about how we think about our faith. Yes, it's a, it's a private, personal faith, but it's not just that. It's also a faith that's meant to be public and displayed to the world. Yes, it's your faith, but it's also one that's given to all people. So do we have that passion for all people? Because God certainly does. He cares about every nation. You see, when we think about this, right, when we think about what's going on in our society, again, I, I'm, I'm, I truly believe that false teaching, right, and, and not false teaching is not just heretical teaching. It's just, it can come from any worldly philosophy. Anything that we can get caught up with can distract us from the heart of the gospel, can distract us from the Great Commission. Consider, for instance, the arguments about religious freedom going on now in this country. And and yes, I, I love religious freedom. It allows us to come here and worship God together. But we have to ask ourselves, are we fighting for religious freedom just so that we can live our religious life freely without any interruption, without any intrusion? Because if that's the case, Scripture never promises us religious freedom. In fact, the early church was martyred for their faith. Consider. How much, how much time and effort and energy some churches, some Christians may be spent on talking and fighting for religious freedom that they're forgetting that they're, they're a Christian to proclaim Christ, not to protect religious freedom. I'm not saying that this is where we're at. I'm not saying that this is where the world, that, that this is where our church is at. I'm not saying this is where you're at. But I'm saying let us think clearly about these things as we hear them from other friends, as we hear them from, from the news media, as we hear them from perhaps other churches and other people out there. But even as we consider how God has a passion for all people, let's again challenge our own hearts with this. Think about, again, our church, First Chinese Baptist Church. We're indeed Chinese. We're indeed Baptist. We're definitely not the first one here. But... Think about how homogenous we can become sometimes. 
I've talked to other people from other ethnicity who came to our church and how hard it has been for them to be in this church. Especially if they're not Asian. I mean, we, we seem to accept Koreans. It's fine, but I'm just, just talking about other, those who might not look like us. And I remember how hard it was for them because they get weird looks. They're not as easy to accept into circles. Who are we even as a church? Do we have the same heart and passion for all people? It's not even safe for you to go out to, to Afghanistan to, to share the gospel. I'm just talking about even within our own church, are we willing to accept all people? And when I believe all people here, it's not just talking about ethnicity. It's talking about all people from different, different financial statuses, different backgrounds. Consider those maybe perhaps, you know, I'm, I've been thinking a lot what happens with families with disabled children. I know we have a ministry for that, but we don't see them a lot within our church public community, right? I wonder, like, can they fit in? Will we, be, will we accept them? They show up, you know, at, at one of our Thanksgiving turkey bowls, and they're just there and Yes, they're not going to play any sports with us, but can we still welcome them? Let's again think about where we're at. Let's think about our fellowship here in Enchanted. What can we be? Especially as a young adult group, where we're all out in this world working in different places, going to school, grad school in different places, and we're meeting different people. Can we invite them in? Let's consider heart that God has for all people and ask ourselves, do we have the same heart? Because it is this heart, it is this passion that God has, that's why we are saved. Let's carry out that same hope. Paul here gives two applications from the passage. Two direct applications. We we saw the first one in verse 1 and 2 verses to pray for all people. Pray for them. It begins with prayer. Because if you do not pray for them, how will you even think about them? Right? I mean, you may consider your prayer life now. If you're not even praying for the people you know, how will you ever pray for those you don't even know? And yet, Paul here instructs us to pray for all people. He includes everything. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving, all sorts of prayer be done for all people. And the reason, again, I believe all people stand for all groups of people is because in verse 2, he gives a category, a subset of all people. He says, for kings and for all those in high positions, meaning even pray for them. Pray for those who are in authority, right, a group of people, right? That's what he means by all people, the category of people. And so pray for all kinds of people, including those who are in authority. And it's interesting here that he, he asked for this because, again, back then the church was persecuted by higher authority. And yet Paul asked them to pray for him. How many of us have prayed for our nation's leaders? I mean, how many of us even know the names of like our mayors and our representatives, our senators? Can we even pray for them by name? But not only for those maybe in political Authority, but how can how we pray for our managers, our bosses, our professors, 
are doomed. How many times have we ever just prayed for different people we interact with daily in our lives? It says here that prayer leads to a peaceful and quiet life. And, and, and I, I believe in this because when we actually get the chance to pray, when life is hectic around us and life is going crazy and we're dealing with all these difficult people, if you work in customer service or you work with clients, you know how hard people are, right? I remember some, many times at, when I was working as a consultant, every time the travel, it's exciting for the first two days, but by the third day, man, they're starting to get on my nerves, right? It's just, it's just tough. But when we actually get down and on our knees and we start praying for these people, we start praying, it actually leads to having us to have a peaceful and quiet attitude. Because praying puts our trust in God. It settles our hearts. It reprioritizes our fears and worries. It reminds us of our mission. And it builds a love for God and for his people. When we pray for others, that's what it does. And it settles us down. It reminds us, this is not about me. This is about God and him wanting to save the person I'm interacting with. How can I bring the gospel into their lives? And in the second application, down in verse 7, is to proclaim this truth to all people. Paul here recognizes he was appointed for this, for this truth, for this gospel. He was appointed as a preacher and apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. And the word Gentiles here, yes, it's contextually because Paul is writing this to Jews, referring to all those who are not Jewish people. But the direct translation Gentiles is nations. So, so really, he's, he's, he's a teacher to all, to the rest of the world. And his goal here is to teach them faith and truth. To believe and to have the right knowledge of Christ. Again, right theology matters. But it only matters when you do it out of love for people. Now, we are not all called to be apostles like Paul is. But again, we are all called to be part of the Great Commission, to be part of the church. That is why you're here. And, and just, as has, just as the Moses are being called right now to go to Portland, all of us here are called to a certain ministry. And some of us might not be as radical to get up and move somewhere, but we are all called to all nations. I mean, think, for instance, where we're at. You know, as as shower sharing in Rockwell, there's a lot of different ethnicity, a lot of different languages coming in. All nations in one central location, two-mile block radius. Yet we experience similar things here in Los Angeles. Diverse population, many refugees coming in, many immigrants. Our parents, most likely immigrants. And more to come. All nations. Can we carry out the Great Commission locally here? You see, we're all called here. We're all here for a reason. You are here in FCBC Walnut for a reason. You're here in Los Angeles for a reason. You're at your job for a reason. You're at grad school for a reason. I'm even thinking about 
my own current transition life. I recently moved out of my home in Glendora, transitioning right now in my parents' home. I'm living there for perhaps a year as my next home, our next home is being remodeled. And I'm thinking about where I am with my family and my dad is not a Christian. Perhaps I'm there for a year to be a witness to him. We're all called right now, even if you're in a transitional period, to be a light in this world. Are we doing that? And think then, think also about our programs here. Think, for instance, about in transit. Think, for instance, about this fellowship, all the events that we do. As a church, are we running programs just to keep the status quo okay here? Or are we aiming these programs to build missionaries? And to reach the nations. I mean, that's my heart for almost everything I do here in the church is that I hope that you guys here, as you listen to my teaching, grow to be better missionaries wherever you're at. I hope to do that in Sunday school. I hope to do that in whoever I get to counsel or disciple. I want them to grow, not just so they can feel better about themselves. I do want that. But I want them to be able to take that same truth others to have them become disciple makers and so then the big idea for this message is that the heart of gospel is a desire to see all people come to a saving knowledge of jesus christ really simple here we see that we see that god's desire is for all people and therefore our desire is for all people to come to have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then we go through some really quick application and we'll end this message. Real quick, if you've been following us on Sundays, we are starting an Advent series. And one of the things we've been, we're going to do for the English congregation is to be able to pray specifically for four different nations. And so if you haven't heard yet on, if you haven't heard yet on Sundays, you can go to our announcements on our website. I think it's on there. Or you can scan this barcode now and you can sign up to be able to pray for a nation. And right now, if I encourage you to sign up, I believe right now it's Mongolia, Afghanistan, Taiwan, and I think the fourth nation is Peru. All right, and we're focusing on those four, and we're asking you to choose one. Pray for one of them. And this is one way to start. Like, I'm not, even though, yes, it says here to pray for all people, but sometimes we need to start small, right? We need to start small and then find it. So start with one nation. Pray for one nation. Get to know that nation. Study it. Where as you sign up, you're gonna get you're gonna get some some resources to know more about this nation. Get to know them better. Pray for them better. Choose a nation and pray. Start small. Start small with just volunteering a local community center. Local place where they just need. Maybe a soup kitchen. Maybe it's the library. Maybe it's just the senior center. Start small somewhere nearby. Engage with people. And not saying when you engage with them, you have to suddenly force the gospel in. Just learn about their lives. Right? Engage with all people. Another way you can do it, I know we're not really doing this now, but because of the pandemic, but go on a cross-cultural mission trip. Whenever international travel happens back up and we start promoting no trips to Taiwan, Mongolia, China, Kenya, things like that again. Go on one. Make the time to go on one because I believe that really helps you learn how to have a heart for people 
one of the greatest experiences of my life is going on mission trips. And, and, and two places really impacted me. First was North Korea, which I can share about some other time. Another one was Taiwan. And, and just being able to see the masses of people there and, and really, and I was meeting with some missionary friends and just talking with them about the people and just thinking about how so many of them just don't know God at all, Jesus Christ. And just think about it. Go learn as you go on these trips. And finally, just personally, just engage with people in your life, whether that's a coworker, a family member, manager. Take them out for a meal. Share about your life. Be a light to them. And pray for opportunities. Let us continue to develop this heart. Let's develop this heart for people because God had that heart for you. That's why we're all here. That's why we all believe in God. That's why we worship him. Because he has a heart for all people, which includes you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. To be able to hear from Sharon Shao and their ministry and how you're guiding them, Lord, to serve those who are in need in Rockwell and up in Portland. We pray, Lord, that you will be with them as you send them up there. I pray, Lord, that they will get all their, I guess, all their things, all their possessions, all their lives in place and just ready to move, ready to do your work. And I pray, Lord, that your kingdom will extend through them to others and that other people will come to see Christ as their hope. Christ as their Savior. And I pray, Lord, that we can support them through this. And I also pray for us here that we too will carry that same heart as we continue to learn more about this world and its need. We continue to learn more about what's going on, the brokenness that's all around us. I pray, Lord, that our hearts will develop a compassion for all people. May you help us grow in that way. Teach us, Lord. Teach us where our own securities lies and teach us, Lord, how to depend upon you and how to grow and be molded more and more like you, more and more like your son. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, God, for sending us Jesus Christ, the man, to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you for being our Savior. You are indeed a wonderful God, a loving God. May we, Lord, we, Lord, are, are just here to worship you and proclaim you. Now, let's now go into a time of fellowship. Let us sing to you. Let us praise your name. You are God's Savior. I pray all this in your name. Amen.